Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. Rabbi. Esther's transition in the Purim story comes at the moment when Mordechai, her cousin, alerts her to the fact that Haman, the wicked, has made a decree to kill all the Jews in about one year's time. He gets Esther's attention by wearing sackcloth and going to the gate of the king and crying out, knowing full well that one is not allowed to go to the gate of the king wearing sackcloth and ashes and crying out. Esther sends a messenger to find out from Mordechai why he's doing that. And Mordechai responds, sending word about Haman's evil plot. Further, Mordechai tells Esther that she has to go to the king to beg the king to spare their people. And Esther responds and says, everyone knows that you're not allowed to go see the king in his inner chamber if you have not been called. And to me, she says, I have not been called in 30 days. And the only hope I would have is that I would walk in and he would extend his scepter to me, which would allow me to enter. After some back and forth, Esther agrees to go. But first she says, please, Mordechai, gather all of the Jews and have them fast with me for three days. I too will fast. And then I will come to the king. And if I am lost, I am lost. That level of fear and concern certainly characterizes the transition between the first mountain and the second mountain. In fact, if that level of gravity, of gravitas, is not present, if a person doesn't feel as if they are literally giving up something so dear and so precious and literally risking everything, they may not be transitioning from one mountain to another. This transition would certainly and definitionally be characterized by a sense of kasher avadati, avadati. I might be lost in this entirely. I might lose all of the safety nets, all of the reliable comforts. There is literally a break in the continuity between who I have been and who I am becoming in that moment. And that is, in a sense, what Esther is facing. To go back a few steps and understand who Esther has been until this moment, we know that she didn't want to be the queen. When the quote-unquote beauty contest happened, 
in order to find a new wife for Achashverosh after he had had his first wife, Vashti, killed, we can certainly assume that there were many women in the kingdom who would have loved to fill that role and become the queen, but not Esther. We read about her, Vatilakach Esther el Melech. Esther was taken to the house of the king. She was found. The Gemara says that Mordechai was hiding her, and she was found and taken against her will and against his will to the kingdom and to enter into this quote-unquote beauty contest. While there, preparing for her big night with Achashverosh, she does nothing strategic to improve her position. And yet, we continue to find this word used about Esther, Va'timsa chen. She finds chen. People like her. The people who are organizing this quote-unquote beauty contest like her and provide her with whatever advantages with which they can provide her, perhaps knowing that she would actually be the queen and they would like to garner favor with her as early as possible. When the night would come, when a particular woman would get to or have to spend the night with Akashverosh, they were allowed to bring whatever they thought would allow them to win Akashverosh's favor. Esther brought nothing. When Esther finally was escorted to Ahasuerus's chambers, and obviously we would assume that they would make what one might call love that night. There are conflicting traditions about how Esther approached that evening. One tradition is that she was a very thrilling lover to Ahasuerus. One opinion said is that she behaved like Karka Olam, that she was like the earth. She did not move. Another says that she created a golem. She made a facsimile of herself, an avatar that would make love with Ahasuerus because she wanted nothing to do with it. And yet, somehow, it worked. He fell for her and immediately crowned her as the queen. And while that would have been great news for anyone else, it was not great news for Esther because Esther was actually in love with someone else. She was already partnered with her cousin, Mordechai. As the Talmud Megillah 13b tells us, that she would make love with Ahasuerus, and then get up from his chamber, go immerse in the mikvah, and go join her true love, Mordechai. And if you were to wonder, how is this even remotely permitted? How is it possible for a woman to be married to someone and have an affair with someone else and go back to her husband? We know that that is completely forbidden according to Jewish law. Unless, of course, she is not willingly participating in that affair. So when she goes and unwillingly loves Achashverosh as Karka Olam, as if she is literally passive earth, it is because she is unwilling and therefore she's allowed to remain married to Mordechai. That is until this moment when Mordechai gets her attention and says to her, Esther, Haman has made this decree. All of our people 
will be killed. You have to go to the king and ask him to spare our people with a strong subtext that she's not going to go to the king and only speak with him, but she's going to go to the king and willfully make love with the king. And because that is true, she will no longer be allowed to remain married to Mordechai because now she's not having an unwilling affair. She's having a willing affair. The stakes for Esther couldn't be higher. She might be killed by Ahasuerus. She might walk in and he might not extend his scepter and she would then be killed. Rashi adds another level. Kasher avadati mi beit Abba, as I will be lost from my father's house, deviating from the lineage that I was given. Now also, obed mimcha, I will be lost from you, Mordechai. Because now that I'm willfully participating in an affair with Ahasuerus, I am therefore forbidden to you. So if this goes well, then she will survive, but no longer be permitted to her real love, and she will become distanced from her people. If this goes poorly, she will die. It is, in fact, a tragic moment for Esther, where she must now choose to give her life in one of two ways for her people, resulting in one of two very real and severe losses. This is, indeed, the markings of the transition to the second mountain. And how would you inspire someone to make that transition? Mordechai is challenged to find a way to spur Esther towards choosing what he knows she must choose. One might think that Mordechai would say something like, Esther, I know it. I know this is the right thing. I know this is your destiny. I know that this entire series of events of Ahasuerus killing his first wife, of you winning the quote-unquote beauty contest and becoming the queen, I know it all led to this. That might work. And yet Mordechai chooses the opposite tact. He says, if you are silent right now, salvation will come to the Jews from elsewhere. And you will be lost. And who knows, he says, Who knows, maybe for a moment just such as this, you became the queen. It seems as if Mordechai shifts the frame away from some sort of prophetic destiny. I know this is it. I know that this is why you became the queen. He shifts away from that. He conveys confidence in God's commitment to saving the Jewish people, but leaves the choice with Esther as to whether or not she would like to participate in that or not. By withholding that kind of prophetic certainty and confidence and leaving it in the realm of who knows, maybe this is it. 
maybe this is why you're here. He puts it squarely on Esther to make that choice that the second mountain move that Esther makes has to be one that she chooses. It can't be thrust upon her. In fact, all second mountain ascents are going to happen as the result of the free choice of the person to ascend and to climb. If it is demanded of a person that they take this step onto the second mountain, then it is not, in fact, the second mountain. It is still a function of the first mountain attitude. And I'm doing this for someone else. I'm doing this because the God or the gods or my friends or my cousin or my teacher or society are telling me I have to do this. And those are exactly characteristics of the first mountain. And so Esther chooses to go to the king. It works. She invites him to the party. He comes to the party. She invites him to the second party. In between, he realizes he hasn't rewarded Mordechai. Haman comes to demand that Mordechai should be hung. At that exact moment, the king has decided that he wants to reward Mordechai, and he suspects Haman, and he asks Haman how he should honor a man whom the king wants to honor. And Haman, of course, plays right into it and says, well, you should put the crown on his head and let him ride on the royal horse. And Ahasuerus says, okay, that's fabulous. Go do that for Mordechai. And then at that moment, everything starts to crumble and everything goes so well. And almost a day later, Haman is hanging on the very gallows that he made in order to hang Mordechai. What an incredible end of the story. It's amazing for everyone except Esther. Everyone wins except Esther. Yes, she has saved her people. But now she's in the palace Married to a man who, to say the least, is not her style, not her first choice of partner. We might assume that she is now, in some essential way, distanced from the very people whom she just saved. There is pain here and loss. There is no going back. This is difficult. And that's how we know that we're on the second mountain.